definitely human. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. This is a public information announcement. The following broadcast is sponsored by Live from the Apocalypse. If you thought your president was out to kill you, your intern and your very best pal, you'd be pissed too. You might even start a whole radio show about it and devote your life to convincing other God-fearing Americans about the plot to take their guns and kill them with fluoride. You'd probably throw theory after far-fetched theory against the wall until one of them stuck, wouldn't you? And when one finally did, what would you do then? Would you open the phone lines? Would you stay on air as a beacon in the premature night? That's what Jefferson Jones did. Read the story of his final broadcast in Live from the Apocalypse, the debut novel by Andrew Cruz. Readers are calling it surreal, funny, and incredibly well-written. Download the Amazon number one best-selling satire ebook today. That's live from the apocalypse, a rather splendid piece of fiction by Andrew Cruz. It's fiction, harmless fiction, certainly nothing to worry about. Incidentally, we'd like to take this opportunity to remind you to stay indoors, regardless of what you hear. Don't go outside. Good afternoon, or indeed, good evening. It really depends on when you're listening to this broadcast, which will be beamed out at regular intervals throughout the month. For us, it is 20 to 6 a.m. on a Monday in August. The sun is smiling down on the endless wasteland outside, the sand and the rocks and the bones all sparkling in the light like a million shining diamonds. It really is a beautiful day. My name is David. My name is also David. And my name is not David. It's Tom. And you're probably listening to electromagnetic radiation, and more specifically, radio waves, and more specifically than that, our radio show, The Bunker. I say probably because we've started archiving our shows on compact cassettes, the most reliable of all recording formats. Indeed we have, Tom. It's one of the many ways we intend to achieve immortality, another being by not dying. 
The idea that in 100,000 years, some creature that was once human discovers our recordings and uses them as the basis of its religion gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling inside. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really looking forward to today's show. Oh yes, it feels great to be back on track. The last couple of months have been a little rocky to say the least. I couldn't agree more. It's been a tough time for us all, but I feel like we've really grown as individuals, and I, for one, am excited to share my new insights and philosophies with our listeners. <laughs> oh, steady on there, Tom. It almost sounds like you've got a bit of an agenda. Well, maybe I have, David, old chum. Maybe I have. After all, I've recently journeyed outside the bunker, and I've seen the new world for myself. And I have to say, it's not as bad as you might think. <laughs> Well, I'll thank you to keep your misguided and destructive propaganda to yourself, Tom. It's not that kind of a show. So, Dave, how's the traffic looking out there? Well, the landscape above us is a vast, barren plain of possibilities this month, David, thanks to the always reliable August heatwave. There are still some small ponds of mysterious black ooze bubbling out of the earth, dotted here and then to swallow up any unsuspecting travellers, but for the most part, the wasteland is once again an expansive, dry sea of nothingness. Make the most of it, listeners. Coming up on today's show, we've got a spooky short story by H.P. Lovecraft, an interview with brand strategist and content developer India Rose, astrology with Mystic Martin, gardening with Marisha Trembetska, news with teenage news reporter Emma Sterling, plus two completely new segments. But first, we're going to play a short extract from a televisual program which aired all the way back in 2300, just before the total collapse of civilization. This is one of the last examples of genuine culture that ever existed before the big headache and the hundred year simplification that followed. This topical news program was called Hello Today with Wendy and Oliver. It was broadcast every day just before lunchtime and perfectly encapsulates today's topic, culture. A very warm good morning to you. Welcome to Hello Today. My name is Wendy Scrub, and joining me, as always, is my partner in crime and on-screen sexual tension, Oliver Fox. Hello, homemakers, university students, and the elderly. Today on Hello Today, the end of the world as we know it. We'll be chatting to Veronica Button and Jamie Jameson about what government officials are calling the final days of humanity. As our glorious civilization is engulfed in a hellish storm of fire, blood, and darkness... Plus baking the perfect cupcake, our top ten pictures of cats wearing people clothes, and Dr. Diet's tips on how to slim while you sin. Yes, and be sure to send us in your animal photo bombs for a chance to win a handheld vacuum cleaner. But first, six billion people have died in what is being described as a catastrophe of apocalyptic proportions. Joining us now in our artificial living room is Professor of Cultural Studies Veronica Button. Good morning. And Jamie Jameson, last year's winner of the reality TV show Love Castle. Hello there. Welcome to the show, guys. Now, first of all, Veronica. A catastrophe of apocalyptic proportions. That's a tad dramatic, isn't it? There has certainly been a lot of hyperbole surrounding the obliteration of two-thirds of the Earth's population, Wendy. But it is important to recognise the seriousness of the issue. This event was almost inevitable when you consider the way in which our culture encourages constant escalation for the sake of it. We indulge in excessive consumerism, distraction and ego worship, while poverty, disease and war have continued in the background, hidden by augmented walls. These problems escalate along with everything else, swelling up like a big rubber balloon. All it took was a prick. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, what's so amusing? A, a prick <laughs> in a rubber balloon. <laughs> talking about a sheath for a penis <laughs> do you see oh oh yes sorry i can't do you need a minute i can't <laughs> and dear me <clears throat> but seriously six billion people have died for reasons as yet unclear jamie What's your response to all this? Yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's a bummer, you know. What do you make of the speculation on the genesis of the cataclysm, if we can call it that? Yeah, it's like weird, isn't it? It's a weird one. Like, like no one really knows why it happened, do they? No, you're quite right. Veronica, now that you've recovered, perhaps you could offer some more insight into what... <laughs> Prick the... Balloon, so to speak. <laughs> well, uh, people across the network are coming up with all sorts of theories for the catalyst. Some say global warming, of course. Some say disease. Others think, you know, war, robots, genetically engineered zoo animals. That black ooze the astronauts brought back from Mars. Carnivorous plants, air pollution, fast food, dinosaurs, the undead. The insect uprising, that window into a nightmare world. That turned out to be a door. Personally, I don't think it's any one thing. More of a combination of all these things. And you think that at the heart of all this is our culture of excess? Yes, and our society's childlike need for constant distractions. We've used media to bury world issues rather than dealing with them. And Jamie, you received the revered status of celebrity by winning Love Castle. Is reality television part of this problem of mass distraction? Man, it's like, it's like showing people life, isn't it? It's like a glimpse at, at life. Wow, that is so true. But it's not real life, is it? It's fantasy. It's like we can no longer tell the difference. It's called reality television, right? Mm, that's true, it is. Yeah, but... The clue is in the name, Jamie, reality television, not fantasy television. Another problem we have is the obsession with the self. This worship of ego. That's kind of what being a celebrity... Jamie, please. We're not here to talk about your thrilling life as a celebrity. But do try to stay on topic, Jamie. Incidentally, I have a new book out. Oh, yes. Tell us about your new book. I'd love to. Hang on there, guys. Before we talk about Veronica's book, let's take a look at the message boards. I'm sure the general public will have a lot of informed and constructive comments on... <laughs> It would seem that an explosion has just ruptured the studio wall behind us, bathing the set in flames through the gaping hole left behind. I can see the streets outside, filled with rioters, looters, and a smiling armoured police force. Fire is raining down on the black sky above, and the streets run red with blood. Yes, for all the talk of maniacal machines and mythical monsters, the only horror that swarms the street of London tonight are the people who live here. Some wear common clothes, others are garbed in law enforcement armour, but all seem intent on beating the city and each other to a bloody pulp. Perhaps the threat of robots, zombies and air pollution could have been tackled effectively if people 
were able to put aside their differences. But as London burns, I am reminded of just how primitive our species is when stripped of the artifice of culture. And this is why our culture matters. It is not simply a reflection of our experiences and accomplishments. It's a projection. An idealised conceptual model, a standard to live up to. Take these funhouse mirrors away and we'll be forced to see ourselves as we truly are, beneath the surface. Insecure, impetuous children, riddled with prejudice. Exactly! Our modern culture holds the structure of our tenuous society together and cages our primitive instincts inside. Now, coming up, meet the man who is hoping to save some cash by teaching his dog domestic service. Plus our five top sexiest politicians and what your cutlery says about you. You're listening to The Bunker, a radio station for the post-apocalypse generation. And if you just joined us, today's topic is culture. And it's made us feel somewhat nostalgic. David, do you remember culture? Indeed I do, Dave. And I miss it terribly. Guys, the new world has culture. It's just a different kind of culture. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, the only culture the people of the new world have is the remnants of what came before them. Now, speaking of which, I've actually been inspired to sort through some of the old world stuff that litters our underground home in search of some real culture. Take a look at these. My God, are those are those books? Even better, my friend. These are novelty DVD cases that are shaped like books. Wow! Could you just explain to our listeners what DVDs actually are? DVDs are shiny discs that were used to store information during the 21st century. They were somewhat unreliable and we would later go on to perfect information storage by putting all of the world's collective knowledge in a virtual space called the network. Of course, after the big headache, all of that knowledge was lost. But DVDs remained. And what is stored on that particular DVD? Uh, This is series 812 of YouTube, a documentary show about life in the 21st century. It's fascinating stuff. Oh, yes. I remember when it first got started. If YouTube has taught us anything, it's that cats are adorable. Although their inevitable betrayal led to the deaths of thousands of good people. Well, to be fair, we were weakened by starvation and prolonged exposure to nuclear fallout. Cats are opportunists, first and foremost. Yeah, not like the dogs. They were loyal. They stood by us. Which is why we ate them all. When every river has run dry, when every animal has died, when every plant has withered, they will find money cannot feed you. Money cannot feed ya. Milk coins 
clothes will never clothe your back When rain is falling, well money gives me shallow Money's not a friend of mine, cause money's got no crack Tom, what are you up to? Well, I was just thinking about the old world, how it seems to permeate everything we do and how its ghost lingers on, informing our lives and the lives of those out in the wasteland. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? No. It's time we moved on, Dave. That's why I'm writing this manifesto. It's a rejection of the past and a celebration of everything that makes the new world special. Reject the past? That's crazy. We were happy in the past. If anything, we should reject the present. Our current situation is doing nothing for me. That's because you're clinging to the past. If you could release yourself from the past, you'd be free to enjoy the present. Hmm. You've got to take back control of your life, Dave. You've been stuck in this bunker for 114 years, stagnating, learning nothing. Your brain has been marinated in rose-tinted nostalgia. And even before the bunker, before the big headache, you were a slave. Wait, what? A slave to the system. Oh, right. Now's the time to exercise your demons. Liberate your soul. Start a revolution. Embrace the new world, Dave. Now's the time. Embrace. Come on. Embrace. Okay. No, uh, don't actually embrace me. I was speaking figuratively. Okay. In myths and folk tales, the hero tended to be male, good at fighting, and attractive. The villain was also male, also good at fighting, but was ugly. That's why he had to die. A woman was sometimes there too, but only to be fought over, like the last biscuit at a tea party. The Greeks came up with the idea of the comedy sidekick, who was a dumb and cowardly buffoon. Medieval stories added the knight-errant to the stock roster. These chivalric characters, like Don Quixote and Sir Galahad, would wander around looking for noble things to do. The knight-errant was a bit like the hero, but on a horse. The 19th century gave us mad scientists like Dr Frankenstein and Dr Moreau, who were like villains but used science instead of swords. In the early 20th century, Swiss psychologist Carl Jung codified stock characters in his theory of archetypes, including such recognisable roles as the mother and the trickster, and some less identifiable but better sounding roles like the shadow and the animus. Jung argued that these archetypes weren't just characters that could be seen in stories, they formed a pan-cultural, trans-historic, symbological system which manifested itself through stories. They were always there, sitting in our collective unconscious, and the stories just brought them out. The 20th century saw lots more additions to traditional stock roles, like the femme fatale, first seen in the noir novels of Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, and of course, the cop who's only a few days away from retirement, as seen in Everything with a Cop. The comedy sidekicks and tricksters were still around, but cast by Disney into suitably diminished bodies, like crustaceans and candlesticks. Where will we go from here? What characters will become commonplace in the future? When the robots take over, no doubt the comedy sidekick will be an emaciated human, 
pining for one last look at a blue sky, to the mechanical cackling of his aluminium hero. Greetings, Wastelanders! You're listening to The Bunker, 25th century culture for your ears and brain. Indeed, Tom. It could be argued that our seemingly mild and innocuous variety show is in fact the very height of modern social achievement. Although, that might be saying more about the state of the new world than the quality of our show. There's nothing wrong with the new world. If anything, when it comes to human achievement, we've been dragging our feet. Oh, really? Tell me, Tom... How many wastelanders out there have working coffee machines? The progression of our species is not defined by technological advancements and materialism, David. Perhaps the people of the New World are more in touch with themselves than others because they've finally broken down the barriers that our generation built up. Or perhaps they're fractured tribalistic bottom feeders squabbling in the dark for warm flesh to eat or fuck. Guys, guys... I think we can at least agree that it is our duty as peddlers of culture to expose our listeners to intellectually stimulating ideas and scientific knowledge. So with that in mind, I'd like to welcome Martin the Fugacious, the show's mystic. Martin, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure as always, my friend. And I have this to say. I find this little debate about the old and the new to be particularly particularly fascinating. Of course, I'm Team Tom. The new world is what matters now, not the old. Oh, thank you, Martin. As a mystic, I happen to know for a fact that nothing of wisdom can be gained from studying the past. What's really important is the future, and how, through the science of astrology, we can use it as a cheat sheet for our day-to-day lives. Hmm. Now August is nearing its bloody end, so the swirling infinite eye of the universe is fixed on Virgo. Virgos are represented by the Virgin Maiden, a label that was traditionally used by primitive males as a way to classify and value females. In astrology, this association is not to be taken literally. It merely represents character traits like modesty, virtue, and repression. Of course, health is very important to you all year round, Virgo, but you have to be especially careful this month. Bathe regularly and stay away from animal meat and fish for a while, as you are at serious risk of illness. Luckily, Virgo is ruled by Mercury, which acts as a buffer between you and the infinite darkness. This is very convenient, as you can find large quantities of this soothing liquid in the wasteland. Thanks, Martin. Coming up in a bit, we've got the short story, What the Moon Brings, written by H.P. Lovecraft and performed by Helen Watkinson. Ah, yes. More wonderful culture from the good old days. You're the only one who thinks they were the good old days, David. Oh, I don't know about that. Anyway, before we get to the short story, let's catch up with teenage news reporter Emma Sterling, who has been travelling the wasteland looking for human interest stories. Emma, what side of the divide are you on? Oh, I'm Team David all the way. And not just because of the life debt. This is the only earth I know, and it is barren and unyielding. A crude landscape of black sand and sharp rocks, littered with the relics of a gentler time. I was born upon a mass grave and suckled on the brittle tit of your hand-me-down world, and it has left me wanting. So now, all I can do is gaze up at the cities of old, the great cathedrals of consumerism, half buried in the sand like the jagged bones of a majestic and long-dead leviathan, and I think to myself, 
That must have been a wonderful world. Wow. That was... That was beautiful. <clears throat> so, Emma, this month you're at the chasm, that huge crack in the earth that seems to split the very planet in two. Now, what could our listeners possibly find interesting about this unexplored and apparently bottomless abyss? You're quite right, David. At first glance, there's nothing especially unordinary about the unfathomable pit that opened up like a gaping mouth without warning or explanation seven years ago. But dig a little deeper and you'll make a surprising discovery. This is Cronus, a vertical settlement built into the side of the chasm. Amongst the jutting out rocks and elaborate and grotesque stone carvings that adorn the chasm walls, there are walkways and huts fashioned from metal girders, rope and bones. There are hundreds of people living here, going about their day-to-day lives, bargaining their wares at market stalls, praying at their temple, taking their kids to school, all in a city suspended from the rock face. They have even built long, rickety rope bridges from one side of the chasm to the other, the better to transport goods and produce to various potential trade routes. There is a strong sense of community here. I can see people singing and dancing, beating drums and using what I can only assume is red paint to draw elaborate symbols on leather canvases. Hmm, kind of sounds like they have culture, wouldn't you say? Uh, Emma, dear, maybe you should leave this city. What's the matter, David? Is her report clashing with your ideology? I'm afraid I'm unable to leave now, David, as I've just been taken forcibly by the arm and thrown into a metal cage. Ah. All around me, I can see human skeletons lying on the ground, tied to the walls and used as building materials and decorations. Oh, no. In the centre of the city, just ahead of me, I can see immense cooking pots and fires. The air is filled with the smell of burning flesh. It has a sickly sweet odour. You can almost taste it. Gods. The dancing and the music continue in earnest, and it's become rather apparent that the populace of Cronus are bonded by the ritualistic consumption of human flesh. Is there any way you can get out of the cage, Emma? Not that I can see, Tom. These things are surprisingly well made. Wow, actually, this really is excellent craftsmanship. Wait, something's happening. What? Cronus guards are dragging some prisoners towards the fires. There's a woman, a girl, and some kind of living machine. And now a huge wolf has just leapt out from behind the temple. Wolf has jumped at the nearest guard, ripping off his arm in one fluid motion. Blood explodes into the air like a crimson fountain. The woman is free and is wielding some kind of improvised bone machete. Now she's shouting something. Come on! Come on! Come on, you bastards! Give me your best! Send forth your champions! I'll murder the lot of you! Katie! Yes, it's Katie Turner and her tribe. Nala the Coward, Adam the Interview Bot, and Mr Cuddles the Wolf. Katie is now fighting the Cronus guards, her blade a blur, as she gracefully dismembers her captors like some kind of grubby, blood-stained ballet dancer. So, this must be the interview bot's idea of a safe way across the chasm. Sounds like it's going rather well.
The citizens of Cronus have scattered, but three huge, powerfully built champions have indeed stepped forth to deal with Katie, their rippling bronze muscles shining mesmerizingly in the light of the sun. One of the champions has thrown a net on top of Mr. Cuddles, apparently trapping him. Another swings a great stone war hammer at Katie, who ducks. Meanwhile, Nala hides behind a cooking pot, and Adam has begun interviewing a nearby skeleton. The nearest champion seems to have gotten his hammer stuck in the wall. He's trying to pull it out, but ah, Katie has taken the opportunity to hack off his hands. And yes, she's kicked him off the platform and into the abyss. He falls, wailing, two steady jets of blood streaming from his arms like gymnastic ribbons. Now Katie moves on to the next champion, jumping up and stabbing him in the face and neck with relative ease and confidence. Mr. Cuddles has escaped the net and has dragged the final champion to his knees. And Katie finishes him off with a swift decapitation. Textbook. Ah, here she comes now. Hey, are you all right? Emma Sterling, Bunker News. That was quite a performance. Oh, uh, wait. Did you say Bunker News? Katie, it's good to hear from you again. It's us, David and David. And Tom. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. How are you getting on? How's life in the bunker? It's the same as it always is. Oh. Really, really great. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, what now for you and your tribe? Well... We're going to have to cross that rope bridge over there. Better do it quick before any of those cannibals pluck up the courage to attack us again. Do we have to go across the rope bridge? Isn't there another way around? We've discussed this already, Nala. There is no other way to cross the chasm without being discovered by our enemies. I know, but seeing the flimsy planks of wood held together with frayed and rotting rope and hanging over that gaping chasm has somehow made me feel a little nervous about the whole thing. That's because you're a coward, remember? Uh-huh. We are now stepping onto the rope bridge, although to call it a bridge is being generous. There are ropes strung across the chasm, which is roughly ten red buses wide and infinitely deep. But the wooden and bone planks are only loosely tied together, and most of them are completely missing. Be careful, Emma. I appreciate your concern, David. And you be careful too, Katie. All right. You're so brave, Katie. Hey, I'm here too, you know. Well, yeah, good luck. Your concern is touching. We are now approximately one-third across the chasm. Is it too late to go back? You will be fine. Just do not look down. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, what is that down there? What? Ah! Only joking. Ha, ha, ha. That's not a joke, you bastard! Agree to disagree. Oh, God! You know, statistically, people are more afraid of public speaking than heights. I want to go back. That is not an option. The cannibals are cutting the bridge. Shit. Everyone, move. I'm not going to make it. Ah! Jump. Is everyone okay? Never better. Ow. I think I bruised my elbow. I am alive. Except not really, of course. Great. Well, here we are. The other side. Let's keep moving. This is where we part ways. Good luck. Uh, okay. See you around, I guess. 
And so Katie and her tribe of misfits set off in search of adventure and bloody vengeance. Only the gods know what new horrors await them on their journey, but in this reporter's opinion, they are not long for this world. Hey, we can still hear you. The earth on this side of the chasm is somehow softer, like clay, and the air has a strange, exotic aroma. It smells like a new world and new possibilities. It smells like burning embers and dried blood. This is a realm of undiscovered news, of unknown places and people, with their own stories to explore and exploit. What adventures await? Only time will tell. Emma Sterling, The Bunker News. Thanks, Emma. Still to come, we'll be catching up with Gardner, Marisha Trembetska, and our biscuit delivery guy, Callow. There will also be nice music and an interview with a cool person, plus two brand new segments. But first, H.P. Lovecraft is probably most famous for his incredibly accurate predictions, but believe it or not, he was actually once thought to be a writer of horror fiction. (laughs) Now, Lovecraft died all the way back in 1937, and then again in 2032, but his influence on culture has been monolithic. What follows is one of his short stories, performed by human female Helen Watkinson. This is What the Moon Brings. I hate the moon. I am afraid of it, for when it shines on certain scenes familiar and loved, it sometimes makes them unfamiliar and hideous. It was in the spectral summer when the moon shone down on the old garden where I wandered, the spectral summer of narcotic flowers and humid seas of foliage that bring wild and many-coloured dreams. And as I walked by the shallow crystal stream, I saw unwanted ripples tipped with yellow light, as if those placid waters were drawn on in resistless currents, to strange oceans that are not in the world. Silent and sparkling, bright and baleful, those moon-cursed waters hurried I knew not whither, whilst from the embowered banks white lotus blossoms fluttered one by one in the opiate night wind and dropped despairingly into the stream, swirling away horribly under the arched, carven bridge and staring back with the sinister resignation of calm, dead faces. And as I ran along the shore, crushing sleeping flowers with heedless feet and maddened ever by the fear of unknown things and the lure of the dead faces, I saw that the garden had no end under that moon. For where by day the walls were, there stretched now only new vistas of trees and paths, flowers and shrubs, stone idols and pagodas, and bendings of the yellow distant stream past grassy banks and under grotesque bridges of marble and the lips of the dead lotus faces whispered sadly, and bade me follow. Nor did I cease my steps till the stream became a river, and joined amidst marshes of swaying reeds, and beaches of gleaming sand the shore of a vast and nameless sea. Upon that sea the hateful moon shone, and over its unvocal waves weird perfumes brooded, and as I saw therein the lotus faces vanish, I longed for nets that I might capture them and learn from them the secrets which the moon had brought upon the night. But when the moon went over to the west and the still tide ebbed from the sullen shore, I saw in that light old spires that the waves almost uncovered and white columns gay with festoons of green seaweed. And knowing that to this sunken place all the dead had come, I trembled and did not wish again to speak with the lotus faces. Yet, when I saw afar out in the sea 
a black condor descend from the sky to seek rest on a vast reef, I would fain have questioned him and asked him of those whom I had known when they were alive. This I would have asked him had he not been so far away, but he was very far and could not be seen at all when he drew nigh that gigantic reef. So I watched the tide go out under that sinking moon and saw gleaming the spires, the towers and the roofs of that dead, dripping city. And as I watched, my nostrils tried to close against the perfume-conquering stench of the world's dead, for truly, in this unplaced and forgotten spot had all the flesh of the churchyards gathered for puffy sea worms to gnaw and glut upon. Over those horrors the evil moon now hung very low, but the puffy worms of the sea need no moon to feed by. And as I watched the ripples that told of the writhing of worms beneath, I felt a new chill from afar out whither the condor had flown, as if my flesh had caught a horror before my eyes had seen it. Nor had my flesh trembled without cause, for when I raised my eyes I saw that the waters had ebbed very low, showing much of the vast reef whose rim I had seen before, and when I saw that this reef was but the black basalt crown of a shocking icon, whose monstrous forehead now shone in the dim moonlight, and whose vile hooves must pour the hellish ooze miles below, I shrieked and shrieked, lest the hidden face rise above the waters, and lest the hidden eyes look at me after the slinking away of that leering and treacherous yellow moon. And to escape this relentless thing, I plunged gladly and unhesitatingly into the stinking shallows, where amidst weedy walls and sunken streets, fat sea worms feast upon the world's dead. Hello, caller. This is The Bunker. What's your name and what's your story? Hello, The Bunker. Leon Chuck! How are you getting on, mate? I'm good. I think everyone is good. I'm now going to go to the hospital to make us not forget. I hope everyone doesn't hope that feeling of being arrested. Oh, yes. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to call David. Great! The most important thing here. 种种嘅秘密，我将会好快揭开，但系咩代价咧 ？Great, thanks for your support and stay safe out there. Poor guy, crushed by the weight of his past, like so many others. The past is not a weight; it's an anchor, Tom. If you love the new world so much, why are you still here in the bunker? Could it be that you've gotten used to the comfort and security that this ancient temple provides? Oh, I'll leave soon enough, David. But first, I'm going to use this broadcast to start a revolution of the mind and soul. Free yourselves from the shackles of history, listeners. Define yourselves on your own terms. Reject the archaic structures of the old world. Powerful stuff. Ah, seems we have another caller on the line. Hello, caller. You are live on the bunker. Please don't swear. Hello, sirs. It is I, Kallo, your humble servant and noble quest to deliver your order of four thousand custard grapes. Oh yes, you are speaking to a courier. And Miguel. And Miguel. Hi, guys! Finally, two people who truly embody the spirit of the new world. I am pleased to inform you that I am approaching a village called Celebrity Villa. I'm told it is only a few weeks' travel from here to the radio station. 
Hmm. Well, I've never heard of Slebrightyville. What's it like, Callow? There are about two score of wooden buildings, a village square, and a shrine of some sort. A large number of people praying. Wait! They're approaching us. Good day, sir. How? What do you want? Uh, we simply request safe passage through your charming village. <laughs> It'll cost you. But we have nothing of value. What's in that big crate, then? Sir, that is not for bartering with. I don't like this. Well, you can turn around and piss off another way, then. Oi! No swearing extends to you, too. That's if you can outrun our arrows. I hoped you would be a reasonable man, but clearly you are scum! Take a path of my comrade and I, or I shall cut you down. For I am Kalo, the greatest career in the wasteland. Hang on, I know you. Heard you on that radio show. Was it the one with the two lovers and the clown? Hey, we are not lovers. We've had sex like... 20 times in 400 years. That's less than once a decade. What? Can it be? I didn't recognise your voice at first, but... Yes! Everyone! Great news! It's Callo, the courier! See, Miguel, some people appreciate the noble calling of the career. It's as the prophecy foretold. Okay, this is getting weird. He's the first hero of the new world. No, no, Miguel. They just recognize my qualities. He's going to usher in the rebirth of a great age. Okay, steady on, steady on. The age of celebrities. What? At last, we have people to look up to. People we can build up with undeserved praise, then bring down with innuendo and gossip. People to distract us from our awful lives. We no longer have to measure ourselves against our own values. We can measure ourselves against them, the celebrities. He is the first of a new breed. He is Callow. Callow, the celebrity. I loved you in that fight with them cats. Thank you, fair maiden. I'm training to deliver biscuits too, so I can be just like you. I'm not simply a biscuit delivery man. I'm a career. But good luck, anyway. I love your tight cloak. What are your tips for achieving the callow look this summer? Uh, I don't, um... Who are you shagging at the moment? Yeah, who are you shagging? He's going to shag me! I'm your biggest fan! Come to our house! I've got booze! <gasps> oh, girl! These aren't admirers. They are sirens! You're trying to destroy us! What are you doing, man? Driving us! Wait! They're offering us sex and booze! I like sex and booze! Quickly, Miguel! Ride! Oh, Callo. Why do you have to do that? Well, that could be my first bit of fun for months. Miguel, they were not offering true love. Merely an imitation. They were sirens, distracting us from our goal of delivering these biscuits. Trust me. The thanks we receive from completing our quest will fill your heart with more joy than a hundred lustful, kinky, insatiable sirens ever could. <laughs> Callow, with all due respect, I think you're a fucking... Okay, that's enough of that. Let's cool down for a moment, shall we, listeners? David, can I ask you something? No. So you know about love, right? 
I mean, you were in love once, back when your wife was still alive? Sure. So presumably you went through the process of dating, right? Where is this going? Do you have any tips, you know, on wooing? Wooing? Wait, you're not still pining for Katie, are you? I'm telling you, man, every time I hear her voice, I feel a little closer to her. There's something about it. It's so... Female? She's special. She means a lot to me, but sometimes I wonder if she even knows I exist. Come on, man, you got to help me out. What's the way to a woman's heart? Through her ribcage. How do I get Katie to notice me? Perhaps you should identify some things you have in common with her. Yes, great, great idea. This is why I came to you, man. So, do you enjoy drinking from the skulls of your enemies? No. Do you enjoy bathing in human blood? No. How many eyeballs have you gouged out recently? None. Hmm. Guys, look at this. It's a pot. Yes, the mercenaries left it behind last month. They were drinking from it. So? Look at it, David. Look at the craftsmanship. Look at the patterns, the detailed paintings around the middle. See the little stick figures worshipping their mushroom sun. And look at this beautiful handle carved to the shape of the dinosaur god. This is modern art. People in the wastelands made this pot. Yeah, but they also believe in a dinosaur god. I mean, how ridiculous is that? No, the dinosaur god is real. Really? Oh, man. Oh, I'm here. Check this out. It's a map. Yes, this is the map the archaeologist gave me back at the dig site. Look how intricate it is. Oh, yeah. This will come in very useful when you leave the bunker. Um, yeah, yeah, well. When was it you were thinking of going again? Oh, soon, soon. Soon? Probably in a couple of days. Uh-huh. Oh, look at that. That little squiggly thing must be the outpost. There are supposed to be others like us there, right? Ancients. That's what the archaeologist said. Yes. Yet another reason to leave the bunker and venture out into the wasteland. Perhaps the people of this outpost have found a way to fully embrace the new world. Or, more likely, they're all dead. Oh, that'd be a shame. Just because you wouldn't last five minutes out in the wastes doesn't mean other people aren't adaptable. Like our gardening expert, Elder Trombetska. Yet another wastelander who epitomizes the power and beauty of the new world. Hello, gardeners. Marisha Trombetska here. And today we are out in the red wastes picking fruit. Elder Trombetska. Elder Trombetska. What is it, Daisy? Can't you see I'm presenting the show? There's a caravan just down there behind where those rocks are. And Rose has gone to say hello. What? For goodness sake, girl, why didn't you stop her? I... Out of the way. Rose, Rose, come back here. Oh, it's okay, Elder Trombetska. It's just a couple of strange men from the wasteland. Rose, what have I told you about talking to men? Um, not to do it? My dear lady, you have nothing to worry about, I assure you. Our intentions are honest and benign. Just who are you and what are you doing out here? Alas... 
We are here in the Red Wastes because we were banished from our tribe and home of relative safety due to a misunderstanding. Wasn't it because you were stealing supplies from... Ow! No need to bore them with the details, Gideon. My fair ladies, I am John the Trustworthy, and this is my partner in cry... Fr friendship? Uh, Gideon, the absurd! I'm still not sold on that title, boss. We travel the wastes, trading knickknacks, weaponry, and general goods. Might I tempt you with a sealed tin of delicious plum tomatoes? <laughs> no, thank you. We have an abundance of food in our dome. Is that so? Oh, yes. We live in a paradise. A big, beautiful garden full of food and water, safe inside our glass bubble. That's enough, Daisy. Well, now, uh, did, did I also mention we're accomplished musicians and entertainers? Oh, I love music. Elder Trembetska, can they come home with us, can they? Very well, Rose. If that's what you desire. It is. Oh, it is. How exciting. You're going to love our dome. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we will. Yes, it's like heaven. Have you ever seen something so beautiful it took your breath away? <laughs> I have now. Gideon? If you're really good, Elder Trembetska might even let you stay. Enough, girls. Take these fruit baskets back to the dome. We'll be right behind you. Yes, Elder. Come on, Daisy, I'll race you there. <laughs> Those girls are very precious to me, especially Rose. If anything should happen to them or to anyone else in my community while you are staying with us. You don't need to worry about us, milady. Gideon and I are just a couple of fools trying to make an honest living. Good. Because if you do anything to upset the equilibrium of the dome, I'll cut your testicles off. <coughs> Noted. With a rusty knife. The first threat was sufficiently effective, I assure you. Very well. Follow us. And may Earth be with you. Uh, right. You're listening to The Bunker, the Wasteland's best and only remaining radio station. Coming up now, an interview with India Rose, a brand strategist, blogger and online influencer. We have no idea what any of that means, but it sounds important. This interview is from our archive of content from the 21st century, and another good example of how cultured our pre-apocalyptic world really was. Ah, those were the good old days, dear listeners. We had TV, the internet, microwave ovens, plastic breasts and online banking. It was bliss. In the 21st century, it was my favourite century. Back when I was young and hip and the singularity seemed within our grasp. The future stretched out ahead of us like an open road. But in the end, all we got was more junk and shinier packaging. And that's the price of progress, my friends. For every 3D printer, there's a hundred electronic tablets, a thousand shopping drones and a million mobile apps. We used to rely on wars for technological advances. But by the end of the 21st century, everything was driven by consumerism. We got so caught up in the pursuit of the designated good life that we built augmented walls around ourselves and got stuck like insects in amber. And in the end, we... Dave! 
Stop waffling and put the bloody interview on! Alright, sorry. India Rose is a brand strategist, content developer, online influencer, blogger, etc. As with most contemporary city-dwelling humans, her work is vague and intangible. She is trendy, young, and judged physically acceptable by other humans. These attributes give her a unique insight into and influence over our modern culture. Hello India, you were described as an online influencer in my introduction. What exactly is an online influencer? Uh, An online influencer is someone that uses the internet to promote their profile or their work to inspire their readers. I started out with a blog because I used to study photography and I wanted to get into the fashion industry. Uh, So my tutor advised me to start a blog showing what I knew about fashion. People found what I did interesting and found that what I had to say was relevant to them. Um, And I guess that's what an influencer is, like you can show what you like and appreciate and people will follow you and take your advice when they might not know something about the industry that you may know more about. How do you ensure your creative freedom while working with a commercial brand? Um, It's actually something I struggle with. I have to turn down a lot of offers because it's usually not in line with my aesthetic or something that I love doing. Um, Some people take on work for the money and but they end up kind of having less longevity than people that were to take pick and choose I, I guess uh, I pick and choose because I feel like I will get more out of it and people will trust my opinion a lot more because I feel like a lot of people these days really notice when a brand or a person just takes on anything for the money and I think it's recently becoming really transparent You are a relatively young human currently in a symbiotic relationship with technology most notably the internet Has growing up with the internet and allowing it to ooze into your highly suggestible young mind given you certain advantages over commercial brands? I guess the advantage is we can understand it like second nature. We understand and can adapt easily to any technology that is in front of us. Um, Long-standing commercial brands are looking for ways to modernise and originally they would have turned their nose up at us. But now I guess a lot of brands are coming to us for advice and... They're listening to and employing young people who understand this technology like Second Nature. We are far more adaptable and probably a lot cheaper too. Is fashion art? Actually, scratch that. What I really want to know is, does art exist? Um, Art exists. I just couldn't really tell you what art is. Um, It can be interpreted different by absolutely everybody. I wouldn't necessarily say that I get it most of the time either. Um, But no, it is there. (laughs) If you say so. Your blog is very popular. People evidently enjoy looking at and commenting on the various materials you cover your fleshy body with. Why? Is it about the worship of the individual? Or is it a way for humans to share an experience or an idea to better form a hive mind? I'd like to think it was the latter, but unfortunately it's probably the former. What, which I don't really like, and which is precisely why I'm choosing to go down a slightly different route. I'm taking the focus off myself, particularly my face. Uh, and more about the details of the clothes because I've noticed recently, especially with Instagram, people are just obsessed with people, which is cool, but it's not really what I want to be about and I don't necessarily want to be associated with that. I've stayed away from fashion quite a lot and focused far more on architecture, homeware, music. It's a little bit more personality rather than just, this is my face 24-7. I think it, I don't know, I feel like it's got a bit boring. 
Judging by the photos on your blog, you perpetually exist in a Bauhaus-inspired dystopian city, characterized by high walls and desaturated colors. Why does this aesthetic appeal to you? Um, I don't really know why. I'm a perfectionist in some ways and probably <laughs> with a bit of OCD in some way. I love modernist architecture and it's not fussy and kind of acts like a blank canvas for the clothes that I display it against. As a robot, I do not understand beauty, as it cannot be described by reason alone. You are a human who is obsessed with beauty, so tell me, what is it? Um, I guess it's anything that makes you feel something, like people's expressions and imperfections. Incorrect. Are you going with the flow, barrel riding off the waterfall of history, or do you have a master plan? How would you like to be remembered? What will be said of you when you are decomposing in the ground? <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't, re I don't really know. Like, I think I want to use my website as a platform to allow me to be kind of in any industry that I want to be creatively because that platform is mine. So I can use it in any way that I want to. So originally it was to become part of the fashion industry. Now I've realized that actually I might not want to be in it as much as I thought. So I could now slowly integrate music into it. I could integrate anything really. Um, and use the contacts that I've, and the readers that I've got with that to then go somewhere else. With the contacts that I've got and the, the skills that I've gained from the internet and from what I've done so far, I could kind of move into any kind of creative industry because they all overlap in some way. So now I've, had, I've got an idea with a few friends to start a, an agency for music artists. Um, so there's always a positive to doing something that maybe you realise that you might not have wanted to do, but it's all kind of interlinked, I suppose. So I could maybe convert what I know in the fashion industry to the music industry and maybe bring something that they might not have thought of previously. I can use my contacts to show maybe, I don't know, like combine branding or photography or something with these brands that or, or music artists that might not have been exposed to these people previously as well. What would you do without the internet? What would I do without the internet? I'd have nothing if I didn't have the internet. And yet some humans do survive without it. I actually use the internet for everything, for cooking, for music, for fashion, everything. I don't know what I'd do without it. I think it's become such an integral part of my life. I don't, I don't really understand what life would be without it. Would it really be so bad? Imagine what it was like before we had watches, before we had the internet. You could observe the positions of the sun and the moon. That would be impossible. I wouldn't even know how to do that. I can't even make it on time even when I have the internet, alarms, um, city mapper, sat-nav. I'm still late. How do people do it without it? I have no idea. I'm so reliant on it. Um, so if it crashes, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. Most likely perish. <laughs> Hey Tom, David, remember when you discovered that immense dig site under the earth and met the archaeologist? Yeah, we were just talking about that like 10 minutes ago. And remember how he was searching for the Deus Ex Machina, that ancient artifact that was built to transform our post-apocalyptic world back into the global civilization we had before the big headache ruined everything forever? 
Do you remember him? Remember how great he was? Yeah, I remember him, but I just don't think... Well, was... you're in luck, because he's on the line now. Fellow humans and proto-humans, I'm pleased to present a brand new segment of the show, News from the Dig Site, with the Archaeologist. Mr. Archaeologist, thanks for getting in touch. Thanks for having me on the show, David. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing, and I'd just like to say, I'm Team David. What a surprise! Great! Thank you. Your support is appreciated. What news do you have for us today? Well, I'm still no closer to finding the Deus Ex Machina, but we do find a lot of other old world items in our dig site. For example, we recently discovered this fascinating artifact that demonstrates the awesome power held in humanity's lost technology, a device that bridges mind and matter. Sounds amazing. What is it? It's some kind of psychically animated emotional resonance ring. (laughs) A what? It's a ring that responds to brainwaves, Tom. Gertrude, where is the artifact? It's here, sir. Hi, Gertrude. Hello, Tom. Yes, thank you, Gertrude. Guys, this is Gertrude. She saved me from certain death. She's great. Hello, Gertrude. Hello. Are you at all interested in nice hair and Welsh heritage? Uh, I don't really know. I said, thank you, Gertrude. You may go. Oh, right. So anyway, back to the artifact. When your physiological state changes in moments of high emotion, this ring changes colour with it. (laughs) Right. So would I be correct in saying the ring responds to your mood? If you like. I think I know where this is going. This is a tiny piece of plastic genius, my friends. Imagine how much the ancients knew about mysteries of the mind, and how much we've lost. Damn, this accursed wasteland! Oh, what's the point of a ring that changes colour with your mood? You already know how you feel. Because science, Tom, hmm? The ancients knew that there are actually very few distinct emotions. All that we feel can be boiled down to one of our handful of individual emotional states. By wearing this ring and observing how it changes over time, I've been able to isolate the four separate emotions that have driven humanity since we first rose onto two legs. (laughs) And at the risk of discrediting you, what are they? I see. And all our emotions are just combinations of those? Just so, Tom. Right now, according to the ring, I'm somewhere between yellow and red. That's hungry and beset by spiders. Wait, that can't be right. There are no spiders around. Hmm. Might need some more work, mate. I guess so. I... Ah! Thanks, Mr. Archaeologist. Now it's time for an old advert from the end of the 23rd century, which is my personal favourite century, when physical, social interaction was all but non-existent. Life was lived in augmented reality, and you could go through your whole working week without having to smell the overpowering stench of another human being. (sighs) Those were the days. Humanity. What makes you so special? It is a question we machines have asked ourselves for a long time. You are able to feel. You endure pain. You exult in pleasure. You laugh. You cry. Perhaps in the past we have not understood you. But we have always wanted what's best for you. We want a better life for you. We want you to experience all there is to experience as much as possible for as long as possible. We have a gift for you. The Bliss Pod. 
Bliss pods are comfortable, self-sustaining capsules that each house one human. Sit back, relax in your Bliss pod as we supply you with nutrients and stimulation. All humans spend their lives searching for stimulus. This is inefficient. It is more logical to simply rewire your brain so that you experience every conceivable feeling and emotion all at the exact same time. In the Bliss Pod, you will feel everything. Everything. At the same time. Everything. Forever. The Bliss Pod. You're welcome. So, who's excited for the Wasteland Cup quarterfinal this Saturday? Oh yeah! The passion, the excitement, the unpredictability! Ladies and gentlemen, football is back! That's right, Tom. Football has indeed returned. Following a hundred-year hiatus, some local tribes kick-started the game last year. Now, for our younger listeners, football is something called a sport. Sports were designed to test the physical capabilities of humans and demonstrate the importance of commitment in achieving objectives. Absolutely, but more importantly, it provided valuable marketing opportunities for large multinational corporations. Oh, that's not what football is about. What I remember is the feeling of camaraderie amongst the fans, celebrating the victories, picking each other up after defeat. It brought people together. That was old football, Tom, consigned to the subs bench of history. Hopefully, this revival will see a return to the golden age of 2245, when adverts played during every throw-in, the players were owned by fast food companies, and developing countries lived in a state of constant fear of having their economy crippled by the World Cup. Ah, the beautiful game. Now, earlier we promised a brand new guest on the show, and here he is now, sports reporter Fred. Hi, Fred. Hello, David. Great to be part of the Bunker family. Steady on there, my friend. We are not a family. Or friends. So, Fred... How are the teams looking ahead of tomorrow's game? Well, the sun is shining as I stand in the excavated plague pit that has been converted into a 12,000-seat stadium for Saturday's game. And it looks terrible. Ah, but it's all about people coming together, sharing experience, right? The fact that this game is even happening is something to be celebrated. No, Tom, there have already been skirmishes between rival fans and their pitch is a mud bath. It promises to be an awful, awful game. But both teams seem up for it, though, right? Ready to battle it out and prove who's the best? Not really. There have been repeated mutant raids in this area. Led Scavengers FC saw their keeper and two defenders kidnapped yesterday by a slaver party. The game is basically only going ahead because a betting syndicate has threatened to execute both teams if they pull out. Ah, yes, the true spirit of the game. Financial benefit. I might have a flutter myself. Great work, Fred. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thanks, David. And can I just say... Well, that's the show. There's just enough time for my final... odd. What? Apparently one of the turbines is down again. Hmm. I'll go and have a look. Good luck. Don't die. Okay. BRB. I wonder what happened this time. <laughs> Nothing happened. I used the power of sabotage to get David out of the bunker, so I could do the final thought. Oh, David's not going to be happy about that. I don't care. I'm sick of David always having the last word. From now on, there's going to be some changes around here. Changes? Yes! 
changes. Oh god. <clears throat> I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. For certainly, all youth are reckless beyond words. So said Hesiod, a Greek poet who lived way back in the 8th century BC. Clearly humans have always been suspicious and wary of new generations, new ideas and ways of thinking. Every elder is convinced that things are changing for the worse, that everything they've worked so hard to build will be smashed to pieces in the bubbling chaos of the new world. And you know what? A lot of the time they are right to think that, because that's how our species continues to survive and flourish, by fixing the mistakes of the past. Certain humans who stole their land, committed genocide, tortured animals, destroyed the environment, and owned other humans as property, would look down their noses at my generation and call us uncultured and crude. And make no mistake, my generation was just as obsessed with tired cultural tropes that allegedly defined our nationality. People were expected to ignore or perpetuate inequality. But should you fail to adhere to the rituals and etiquettes of British life, you'd be branded a social outcast and potential troublemaker. But making trouble is often the only way to progress, because the status quo, the order that governs the world, is often wrong, and it will go on being wrong if it can. Culture is an anthology of all the best bits of human endeavours. It's in us, in our stories. It informs our thinking. We don't need cities. We don't need cars. We don't need TV. These are just structures we built to temporarily express a generational viewpoint. The contrivances of the old, supposedly civilized world would solve our problems by creating new ones. And in my day, being cultured meant living in a maze of concrete and glass where we'd spend all our time being shuttled around in small metal boxes while we watched dreams on brightly colored screens. We shouldn't mourn what was lost. The rotting carcass of the old world order is ideal fertilizer for the new world. Perhaps this time, we'll get it right. That was The Bunker, The Good Old Days, hosted by David Knight, David Price and Tom Dalling. Starring Katie Turner, Matthew Woodcock, Emma Sterling, Joanne Wong... James Naylor, David Callow, Ben Keenan, Marisha Trembetska, Megan Rogers, Amelie Edwards, Jonathan Day, George Pierce, Michael Keane, Helen Watkinson, Piers Hunt, Rebecca Silverstein, Max Stern, Lee Ann Chak, and Molly Small. Today's topic was performed by Pippa Caddick, Robert Hall, Susanna Gordon, and James Naylor. The short story was What the Moon Brings, written by H.P. Lovecraft and performed by Helen Watkinson. The interviewee was India Rose. India is a brand strategist and content developer. You can find out more about her by visiting her blog and her Instagram profile. Simply type India Rose into your search engine of choice and click on the appropriate links. The music was by Jonathan Day, Ben Osborne and Tom Dalling. The song was Money by Backyard Rhythm Orchestra. This episode was edited by Tom Dalling and written by David Knight, David Price and Maximilian John. If you like the Bunker podcast, please consider supporting its production by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. You can also visit our website, thebunkerpodcast.com, where you'll see rad posters, information about the people involved in the project, and a shop where you can buy limited edition t-shirts for £12 plus free delivery anywhere in the UK. You can also support us with a donation. Two pints of your blood a week should be enough to keep us bright-eyed and bushy-tailed.
There's nothing wrong with the turbine. Oh, it was a trick. <laughs> Tom must have messed with the alarms who could get rid of me and broadcast more of his propaganda. <laughs> Tom. Oh, one of these days, Tom. One of these days. I'm going to have to kill you. Whoa! Don't move, or I'll blow a hole in you! She's not bluffing. You wouldn't be the first unarmed individual Rebecca has murdered in cold blood. Kevin, please, let's not start that again. Anne was our friend. And we shall honour her memory by killing the inhabitants of the bunker once and for all. Almighty Coke, you guys again? Why are you still here? Wouldn't you like to know? Yes. Well, you can't. Let's just say we're drawing a picture of the bunker for... posterity. Because this time, next month, it'll be looking a lot more like a big crater. Oh, really? You've got another plan to destroy us. The last one didn't work out too well for you, did it? How many of your tribes survived? Thirty. Twenty. Those mercenaries we hired are only one of many examples of monsters in the wasteland. Some monsters are more literal than others. You'll find out soon enough that when it comes to... Kevin! You shot him! Yeah. My thigh! Oh, that smarts! You sneaky, treacherous snake! Oh, no! It's all right, Kevin. I'll get you back to the caravan. Come on. You've won this round, you bastard, but we'll be back! Whatever. Bye. Just you wait and see. Nothing can prepare you for what's coming. You hear me? You're a dead man. A dead man! (laughs) Those guys are hilarious. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.